Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we continue our study of the second book of Kings with chapter 18. Chapter 18 is a marked difference a, from what we've read before. It's, uh, some would describe this as a breath of fresh air from the kings of the north, which were a consistent slide into worsening and worsening idol worship and corruption, which ended in destruction. And then we just read together about the what happened in the lands of the um, of the north, uh, having uh, the Assyrians having repopulated the land with idol worshippers, who some of whom uh, adopted some practices of Judaism, but the north became just a, a province of Assyria, with no real uh, kingdom, uh, no more any kings. It was just uh, uh, totally, totally uh, destroyed. However, in the south, which was also under King Ahaz, we had just read in earlier chapters about how the King Ahaz had also descended into terrible, terrible um, uh, uh, corruption and, and the cult worship of child sacrifice and just awful, awful things. His son, Chizkiyahu, Hezekiah, is about to take the throne and he is going to save the Judean kingdom and bring it back and restore it to, to the worship of God and restore it to its, uh, its independence and restore it to its, its, its glory. But it wasn't an easy ro- ride, and we're about to read about, about that. Now, together we studied, way back in the beginning of this podcast, we studied together this, the same story as it is presented in the book of Isaiah. It's worthwhile, of course, to go back there and, and, and um, study those chapters and see there's various parallels back and forth. I might reference some of them because this was, of course, during the time when Isaiah the prophet was most active and, uh, and so on. If you remember, in, during the beginning of the prophecies of Isaiah, <clears throat> Isaiah had been telling the people during the reign of Ahaz, Isaiah who interacted with Ahaz, who was an evil king, who had allied himself with Assyria, right, um, because uh, he saw that the Assyrians were the strongest, rather than uh, allying himself with the rebels, which at the time in the reign of Ahaz included the northern kingdom uh, uh, of Israel, Pekach ben Rumaliyahu, who was the king at the time, um, who had allied themselves against Assyria. Ahaz allied himself with Assyria. <laughs> Isaiah, Ishayahu advised him against that, but he didn't follow his advice. And instead, he, uh, Ahaz brought all the corruption and all of the idol worship and terrible um, uh, immoral sacrifice of, of uh, human sacrifice and terrible things that he brought to, to the southern kingdom of Judah, as the southern kingdom of Judah was then sliding towards the same abyss that the northern kingdom was. But as we've seen throughout the career of the kingdom of Judah, there were many occasions uh, where the people did terrible things and they were corrupt with, led with terrible and corrupt leaders, but in Judah, it wasn't a complete slide. Every, every generation or two or sometimes three, a king came up who restored the uh, practice of worship of God, restored a moral and just uh, government, the governing structure and so on. Remember, this book of Melachim, this book of Kings, focuses mostly on the spiritual aspects, the worship of God as opposed to the worship of idols. It doesn't touch that much upon the moral aspects. But as we've studied together the, the, 12, um, the book of the, of the 12 prophets, we studied the books of Isaiah, 
together. We've studied those books which discuss, are all occurring contemporaneously, referred to the moral decline and the moral corruption that, uh, that accompanied idol worship and the, and the appropriate you know, moral and just and righteous society that is built when people worship God. So just remember that as we read through this, the, the general focus of this book as opposed to the focus of the words of the prophets who are prophesying at the same time. Now, Chizkiyahu was the son who Isaiah had been during the first book of the first portion of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah had been telling the people, "Don't worry, the people will be saved. A son will be born. There will be a young man. He will come. Uh, there is a, a young boy in the house of the king who is going to save us. Who's going to bring us back? And this son was Chizkiyahu, was the righteous son of Ahaz. That despite growing up in the house of Ahaz." of the evil king, Chizkiyahu grew up righteous, grew up faithful to God, and, uh, and Isaiah looked to him as the hope of restoring the people. And in, in Jewish tradition, it's assumed that Chizkiyahu was the predicted Messiah, Mashiach. He was the one who was going to bring the people back um, and, and restore uh, the, God's temple and restore worship of God and, and eventually fulfill all of those prophecies that Isaiah had said about Mashiach, about, uh, about the Messiah. Unfortunately, while we read about Chizkiyahu's incredible success, and due to his incredible success, he was clearly uh, influential, not just influential, but he clearly was able to uh, prevent this kingdom of Judah from going in the same direction of the northern kingdom. At the end of his life, he failed. At the end of his life, he failed, and it was a failure due to a, as we'll see as we study these next few chapters together, a, a little bit of arrogance, which unfortunately stayed in Chizkiyahu's character, that despite his greatness and his great achievements, at the last moment, um, he took a slight turn in the wrong direction, which we're going to study together, and it's a fascinating story. Um, now, so here you have Chizkiyahu growing up, uh, uh, under the tutelage of Isaiah, as we know from our tradition, Isaiah was his teacher and taught him. Um, it was in the third year of the reign of the king Hoshea, the king of Israel, that Molach Chizkiyahu ben Achaz Melech Yehuda, that Chizkiyahu, the son of Achaz, became king over Yehuda. The, the chronology here is very difficult to reconcile with the realities of history um, and and with the with the previous chapters and following chapters and the other books that record chronologies, but as I have said numerous times throughout this podcast, I don't want to focus on um, on that uh, because uh, it, it just gets us involved in in calculating years back and forth, up and down, and I I I just rather not go in that direction. But of course, you're welcome to study the many different approaches to understanding this chronology. But for our purposes, let's just remember that Chizkiyahu becomes king at, during the final days of the, of the northern kingdom, so he witnesses the destruction of the northern kingdom of Assyria. Now, one of the things that's extremely fascinating about the stories we're about to read is that we're reading the perspective of the prophets, the writers of the Book of Kings, right, uh, on historical events, of which we have many, many, many extra-biblical sources. Uh, there, are, there have been the Assyrian accounts written. There have been uh, uh, the Assyrians kept clear accounts of the his history. So we have uh, sources of, from the Assyrian writings and the Assyrian 
um, you know, tablets that have been discovered that describe these events. They were described in other archaeological finds from other uh, places that described what was going on at this time. Uh, we, the, the archaeological evidence that has been excavated throughout uh, the, these areas, the Middle East, both in, in Assyria, which is modern day, in modern-day Iraq, and in the land of Israel, and in other areas, um, uh, uh, have brought, shed a lot of light on these events. So just to, and so uh, without going into all the detail, there are some things that are important as we go through here to help us understand this story. And a lot of this information is gleaned from the sources that we know about what was happening at the time. So remember that the king who destroyed the northern kingdom was Sargon II. Sargon II was the successor of Shalmaneser. Shalmaneser was the king who initiated the Assyrian siege of Samaria, the northern kingdom, right? And then uh, he uh, died and Sargon II took over and Sargon was the one who destroyed the northern kingdom. Now, uh, during this, at this point, Sargon um, turned his attention uh, in other areas and to, to Anatolia and southern Turkey. And in battle in Anatolia, he died in battle and his body was lost. Um, in battle, in the confusion of battle, his body was, was lost, destroyed, um, disfigured, who knows, but his body was never recovered. So there was no big state funeral for Sargon. And this, at the time, was a shock to the, the entire Middle East. It was considered a very bad omen for the Assyrian kingdom. So the, the, the people, the, the vassals of, the, of Assyria, those countries that had been uh, subjugated by Assyria, uh, started to get a little bold and wanted to, um, and, uh, uh, to, to, to take over, um, to regain their independence, to rebel against Assyria um, because of this tremendous loss uh, of Sargon and this what seemingly bad omen of Sargon's body being, being not, never recovered. And the, the Sargon's son, who Sancheirev, uh, who, who we're going to read about, Sancheirev, took over. And for the first several years, it seems that Sancheirev had a lot, of, a lot of challenges consolidating his leadership. And so there were several years of, um, of um, where the Assyrian kingdom was perceived as weak. Sancheirev eventually was able to rebuild his dominance and... And, and eventually, you know, uh, reassert his control and reassert the Assyrian kingdom. Now, Sancheirev had, had several, uh, uh, so of the countries that tried to rebel against him, uh, Judah was one of them, right? Chizkiyahu was now the king of Judah, and he was in this position during these intervening years where the Assyrians were busy uh, dealing with internal affairs, right? Um, he was able to develop alliances with some of the other countries, surrounding countries, which, which wanted to rebel against Sancheirev, rebel against the Assyrian kingdom. And this, of course, uh, and one of the kings um, who, uh, one of the kingdoms to the south, which was Assyria's main rival power, is, of course, the, the, uh, the empire of Egypt. So these smaller countries wanted to develop an alliance with Egypt. And as you recall from learning the prophetic books, so many times the prophets would, in, would instruct the kings of Israel not to turn their attention to Egypt because they're an unreliable ally. But the lore of turning towards Egypt as a powerful ally is quite understandable. 
in the area of the of of of, of the where the land of the Philistines, what approximately what is today the area of Gaza, there was a king who was pro-Assyrian who did not want to ally himself with the um, with the new with the rebels, uh, and we're going to read about this in a moment. Uh, what Chizkiyahu did about that in order to consolidate the anti-Assyrian alliance of which Chizkiyahu was a part. So let's read now. Ben Esrim v'chamesh anahayah b'machot, this is verse 2, he was 25 years old when he became king. V'esrim v'teish ashon amalach v'yushalayim, he was king for 29 years. V'shem imo, and the name of his mother was Avi bat Zechariah. Her name was Avi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was proper in the eyes of God, just like his forefather David. So here you have this compliment, this is the best compliment that a Judean king can have, that he followed in the ways of their forefather, King David. Who For the first time, even the righteous kings, like King Asa, who, who led several generations prior, even the righteous kings did not remove the bamot. Bamot are the places of sacrifice that are outside the temple area, right? Uh, but they are designed and meant to worship God. And this is an important point to understand the developing story as we're going to read together as we read the, about the career of Chizkiyahu. So keep this in mind. But God wanted the people to only sacrifice in the temple himself, itself. Remember, at this time, the prophets, the religious leaders, this is the time when Isaiah was able, was standing and saying, God doesn't want your sacrifices. God wants justice and righteousness. God wants your heart, right? And at this time, in this context, right, the building of a temple and the dedication of a temple, which would be the only place in which sacrifices were wanted, was considered a, a stepping stone towards the, the movement where, where sacrifices would not be the central way of worship of God. We see repeatedly throughout the words of all of the prophets these ideas being, being expressed. The, the proliferation of, of Bamot, the proliferation of altars all around the countryside where people would sacrifice to God was seen as counter to that push, that push towards morality as the basis of religion as opposed to sacrificial worship. The, um, so Chazkiyahu was part of this, part of this movement, destroying all of these places of sacrificial worship and focusing only on the temple itself. And he smashed down the, the Matzevot. Matzevot are, very, are, are like either pillars or, um, or monuments. Uh, that were either either built towards for God, but were inappropriate, or they were built to, for the worship of idols. And he cut down the Asherah, which is which is uh, trees that represented uh, um, uh, a in various understandings either a a companion to God, a female companion to God, which is obviously completely against everything that monotheism stands for. But it was a very common practice, which we've come across. And in addition, not only that, he destroyed the copper uh, uh, serpent, which Moshe, Moses had built. Now remember, way back in the history of the Jewish people, back in the time when they were wandering in the desert, uh, before they entered the land of Israel, there was a plague, and God told Moshe to make this snake and put it on a, um, on a staff, and people would look at the, at the snake and, and, and become healed. Now that itself, remembering, if, if we understand the way Maimonides, and I've quoted this several times, understands 
these kinds of, of things. And the way the Chazal, the way our rabbis explain it, is obviously the snake doesn't have any, any special power. <coughs> but rather, by looking at the snake, right, one will contemplate the snake, the creator of the snake. One will be looking up towards the heavens and eventually turn towards God and recognize, you know, and th- this is how it's understood. I'm not going to get too detailed into that. But as you can well understand, people, um, um, the people of Israel would 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 sacrifice, would would burn incense, would worship the snake, because of the power of that. So what what this is really saying is like nowadays, lots of times people have uh, you know talismans or various gadgets that they think represent good luck, you know, or whatever it is, and. Uh, to some extent, you can defend it by saying, well, this item is not really, don't really believe that this item thing has any power on its own. That would be idolatrous. But rather, looking at this image reminds one, brings one to think about appropriate thoughts, to think about God, etc. And that would be the defense of these things. But the line between that and believing that this good luck charm has actual power is a very thin line indeed. And the people had crossed that line. And Chizkiyahu, in his attempt to establish true monotheism in the hearts of the people, destroyed that snake. This is a very important historical artifact, um, but he destroyed it by Yikralon Nechushtan. He called it Nechushtan, which means uh, copper thing, or uh, the, however you uh, uh, translate that. Uh, whether it means that he called it that after it was destroyed, just saying that it's now it's just a pile of copper, or maybe it means that this had what is what the people had called it when they used it a god as a god is unclear from the syntax of this verse, and there's different understandings. But regardless, Chizkiyahu had to correct these terrible um, theological mistakes that had led the people in the wrong direction. But rather, as in verse five, Badunay Elohei Yisrael Batach. He only had faith in God, the Lord of Israel. That's the one who he trusted. And after Chizkiyahu, there was no other king as great as he, among all of the kings of Judah, and even among those that preceded him. Now, this would seem to say that he was greater in many ways, even than King David and uh, King Solomon, who had been great leaders, of course, uh, in the early days. And in, in a sense, one can understand that given the fact that he was coming up in an environment where this, the, these corrupted, uh, idolatrous ideas and these ideas about worshiping God through sacrifice and worshiping God through, uh, you know, and, 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 and believing in the power of symbols and, and these, these, these superstitious nonsense, um, you know, and, and people thinking that sacrificing to God, you know, all around would be the way to get God's favor and so on. If operating in that environment, one can see how, he, and on a certain level, he was even better than David and Solomon who preceded him. And he attached himself to God. He did not turn away from God. And he kept his mitzvot, his commandments, that God had commanded Moshe. And God was with him. And in everything that he did, he was successful. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria. Now this is where the political stuff that I discussed with you before comes in, right? He did not follow the king of Assyria, right? Remember, this, this was during a time when many of the smaller nations around him were also rebelling because, as I said, Sancheirev had not yet 
managed to fully solidify his rule over the kingdom of Assyria, and it was a moment of weakness, which wasn't going to last long, as we're going to see soon, but it was the, a moment of weakness in the kingdom of Assyria. Velo Avado, he did not serve him, which means he did no longer pay tribute to Assyria. And one of the things he did in this context of rebelling against the Assyria is who he caught at ad Azoviet Vulea. He struck the, the Philistines to the place of Gaza and its borders. Mimigdal no trim ad Irmibsar, from the towers of the watchtowers, which which are in the beginning of the territory, the watchtowers which watch to, to check for oncoming threats, Adir Mivtsar, all the way to the fortified city, which is the interior. So, so Chizkiyahu flexed his, um, his political and military muscle and, and subjugated Aza. And we know from extra-biblical, from historical sources, that, that in, in, the, in this area, in, in, the, in the Philistia, in the area which is now Gaza at the time, the, the people... Uh, there were there were many nobles uh, who were against the king. The king was pro-Assyrian, even though this was a time of weakness and did not want to rebel. But the people of the Philistines did um, want to rebel, and they kind of invited Chizkiyahu to to crush the king and his forces. And eventually, as we know from other sources, not uh, not not here, but we know from sources, uh, you know, historical sources, that the king of Assyria was sent as a prisoner to to Judah, to Jerusalem, and Chizkiyahu held him as a prisoner, and Chizkiyahu uh, allowed the, uh, the anti-Assyrian forces to, um, to, uh, to rule uh, the Philistines. As you can tell, this is a very important uh, geopolitical move because having a pro- if Chizkiyahu was deciding, decidedly uh, decided to uh, ally himself with the anti-Assyrian forces, having a pro-Assyrian nation right at his flank, especially one that sandwiched between him and the Egyptian empire, would have been a bad move. So he had to turn the Philistines into a pro, I mean, an anti-Assyrian ally, and then turn to Egypt in order to find, to get um, support from Egypt, which we'll, we'll read about as, as, we, as we keep on moving. So now, as this occurred, then, uh, so Chizkiyahu shored up his, his help. However, in the fourth year of the king of Chizkiyahu, right? That was the time when Shalmaneser, so now we're backing up in time a little bit, right? Uh, when, when the Shalmaneser, who was the, that's two kings back, right? There was Sancherev, who was the king who's going to be the one who attacks Chizkiyahu later, that we'll read about. There was Sargon II, who was the one that died, right? And his predecessor, Shalmaneser, was the one that laid siege, as we just read here, and laid siege to Shomron, to Samaria, right? And in the sixth year of Chizkiyahu's reign, at the end of the three-year-long siege of Samaria, which was the ninth year of the reign of the king Oshea, Nilkada Shomron, Shomron was captured. Now we know from historical sources that Shalmaneser began the siege and, and died, and then Sargon II, right, took over, right, um, as king and completed the siege and completed the capture of Shomron. And the king of Assyria, over here, it doesn't say Shalmaneser, it says the king because it was another king, right? He was the, uh, Sargon, who was the one who, 
who exiled the people of Israel to Ashur, Vayanchem Bachlachu Vichavor Nargozen Vaorei Madai, and he settled them. And as we learned before, the leadership of the, the northern kingdom, he settled them in these towns that we just listed that were within Assyria. And the reason for this was, because they did not listen to the, the voice, to the commands of the Lord their God, and they um, violated his covenant, everything that Moshe, the servant of God, had commanded them, they did not listen to the Torah, and they did not live, they did not do them. So this is the background of Chizkiyahu, right? Uh, uh, and we're about to study in the next part of this chapter, we're about to study the, um, the, the, the uh, Assyrian attack, which took place when the Assyrians, start, when Sancheirev started to, to, um, to uh, reassert his control over his rebellious provinces. So, in the 14th year of the king Chizkiah, so at this point, Allah Sancher of Melech Ashur, Sancher of the king of Ashur. Actually, let me give a little bit more of a historical background here. Right? Um, <coughs> during this time, <coughs> while Chizkiah is getting ready for the obvious Assyrian attack, right? And and he's he's so he's solidifying himself by building up his alliances with the other anti-Assyrian nations. We talked about what he did to the uh, potential Philistine enemy to bring them in under his wing to be also an ally against Assyria. But he also did, and we know this from a lot of historical sources, a lot of working projects uh, to 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 uh, build up the defenses of Judah. So this meant the defenses of the major towns, especially Jerusalem. He also absorbed thousands and thousands of refugees from the northern kingdom. The population of the city of Jerusalem exploded in this time, and we see this from archaeological evidence. He built walls. If, if anyone that goes to Israel today should check out the uh, broad wall, which is the wall that was built by Chizkiah as, as a, a, to beef up the defenses of Jerusalem. He also uh, increased the water supply by, and brought the water supply to within the city by digging the famous Chizkiyahu Tunnel, which brought the waters of the Gichon Spring into within the walls of Jerusalem in order to be able to withstand the siege. So there was a lot of things that Chizkiyahu did in order to get ready for the inevitable onslaught from the Assyrians. But here, but then, unfortunately, Sancher of the king of Assyria came, and this is verse 13, and attacked all of the fortified cities of Judah, and he captured them. And we see this in the annals of the um, records of the Assyrians, and we see this from archaeological evidence. And the, the, pri the second city, the second largest and most important city at the time in, the, in Judah was the city of Lachish, and one can go to Lachish today and see the um, archaeological uh, remnants of the city and uh, the, the siege ramp that was built by Sancheirev in order to attack the wall. It still stands today. Um, and um, evidence of the destruction of Lachish by Sancheirev and his forces. And one can see in, in the, the uh, reliefs that were found in Sancheirev's palace in modern-day Iraq, um, which draw pictures and show the, the depictions of the fight between the Judeans of Lachish 
and how Sancherim overwhelmed them. So Chizkiah, at this point, tries the first method. He wants to maintain his kingdom. So the first thing he does is as follows. He, he tries to maintain his... Uh, at this point, he sees that he's, um, he's failing. He doesn't want Sancherim to lay siege to and attack Jerusalem. So, and the king of Asher is now in Lachish, the city that he had just conquered. So Chizkiah, the king of Judah, sent him a messenger, Lamar, to say as follows, Chotasi, I'm so, I have sinned against you. In other words, yes, I have rebelled against you. Shuv may lie, but please, please leave me, in other words, leave the rest of my kingdom intact. I will, whatever burden you place upon me, I will carry. In other words, tell me the price, I'll pay you off. So the king of Assyria said, fine, I'll give, you, give me this amount of money, 300 uh, talents of silver and, um, and 30 uh, measures talents of gold. So it was a significant uh, attribute. The Assyrian uh, records record this same uh, encounter, the same deal, but they have the price being a little different. I can't remember what it was offhand, but I, their, their, their amount of talents of silver was a lot higher number. And when we see the comparison between the Assyrian accounts that have been found um, in, the, in the palace of Assyria, uh, their, their accounts of the tri tribute that Chizkiah had to pay, uh, in general, we see that they always inflate things. They make, this, make everything sound bigger uh, than you find. And it's to be expected, you know, history is, is written... <laughs> by the people, each person has an agenda when they write their history. But, um, so you'd expect the Assyrians to inflate the victory and the spoils. And in order to fulfill this amount, Chizkiah took all of the silver that he was able to get from the temple, right, and in, and in his own, the treasury of the king. So Chizkiah paid him off in order, and you don't really get a hint here uh, there have been times, this is not the first time, you know, that the kings raided the temple treasury in order to uh, pay tribute to get rid of a, a foreign invader or to pay tribute in order to um, uh, stave off the wrath of some conqueror or two. Um, but here Chizkiah did this in order to save himself at a time of, of military weakness. But Esahi at this time, Kitsas Chizkiah's Dalsos Echal Adonai Vesa Omnos, uh, Chizkiah cut down uh, the doors that were the doors to the Heichal. The Heichal is the holy uh, 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 part, the inner part of the, um, of the Beit HaMikdash, of the temple, and the Omnot, which are pillars, Asher Chizkiah that Chizkiah had, had initially overlaid with gold, but he took them down, presumably in order to peel off the gold, in order to pay this price to the king of Assyria. So here we have um, Chizkiah paying this tribute, which unfortunately we're going to find is not successful. So Chizkiah uh, did a similar of, of what we find, uh, you know, in um, in the Parshat Vayishlach in Genesis, in the book of Genesis, where where uh, Jacob, when he was about to encounter his brother Esau, as we know from tradition, we know Yaakov did three things, right? He divided up his, his camp, he paid Esau tribute, right? Um, uh, and and prayed to God, and then also got ready for war. Chizkiah here is paying tribute to see, in the hope that this will uh, get Assyria out of there and 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 leave the kingdom 
intact, humbled, but intact. Unfortunately, this is uh, not going to work, which we're going to study when we study the second part, the next part of this chapter 18. Thank you so much for studying this together with me today. Looking forward to studying the rest of this chapter, the rest of the story of Chizkiyahu, and of course the rest of the Book of Kings together. Have a wonderful day.